We're going to take a pause today from the kind of new series I started on understanding God and Satan and temptation and just address the challenge of the week, which will not be going away anytime soon. Uh, beginning with the news stories late Saturday night, uh, a vicious attack uh, by terrorists upon Israeli citizens living in southern Israel uh, that was more horrific as we learn more about it. And all of this week, uh, every news story, every headline, uh, social media uh, is addressing not only what happened a week ago, but how the Israeli government is going to respond to it. And there's a whole lot of other issues concerning how the United States gets involved or doesn't get involved. Iran, very, uh, you're going to hear me use the word complicated, a lot of complications to the whole issue with Israel. I wanted to address just how we look at Israel from a Christian standpoint. Again, Israel is all over the news, but Israel is also all over the Bible. Uh, you cannot remove Israel from the Bible. 39 books of the 66 books of the Bible deal with Israel's history. The good, bad, and the ugly, if you will. But also Israel's history produced the Messiah, which is Jesus Christ. You cannot eliminate the history of Israel from our Christian identity. And we're going to see how powerful that is today. But it's a very complicated past. And we're going to talk about that as far as how we deal with Israel today as a nation. And how we pray about Israel, what we pray for, what we expect, uh, how we see Israel from what God is looking for so that we make sure that we respond correctly. It's not just to look at it politically or, or to take sides. There's clearly a side that the Palestinians have that's very powerful. There's a very powerful side that the Israelis have concerning this division over the land. And there are terror groups that live within that group that are going to force their way and, can, and always have been a challenge and will continue to be. And our response is simply to respond as Christ wants us to. Not only in our thinking about what's going on over there, but also in what we pray for, again, how we deal with those who are of Jewish background. And these scriptures today will reflect that. Responding correctly to the conflict in Israel. The two pictures I have up front are just two examples of part of the challenge in just understanding Israel. As I was looking at different material on Israel, I found this book simply entitled Israel's History and the History of Israel. That's a very bizarre title, but it simply illustrates the fact that there are many different angles to look at the history of Israel, and many people come from different approaches. I have many teachers that are of Jewish background, and they see Israel very differently, each one of them. And many Jewish people see Israel different, and just the title of that book shows that there's different views of the history of Israel. A newspaper title uh, in the late 1940s simply says, the state of Israel is born. But yet, if you're familiar with the history of Israel, Israel began as a nation, though, 5,000 years ago. But what is this state of Israel that was born in the late 1940s, shortly after the end of World War II? And especially as it's put in this newspaper cover of the Palestinian or the Palestine Post. So... There's a lot that we could cover. And I just spent this week deciding what's the most important things we could look at and maybe the most 
helpful passages, and we'll get into those in just a moment. First of all, just understand that there are no easy answers to the issue of Israel and its problems over there ever since I was a little boy. I remember seeing on the news conflict with Israel and its neighbors, and that's all my life is known, hearing about it, but I've never, haven't to, never have had to live it out personally as those of Jewish descent have to. But there's a very complicated past and present to Israel. I think if we try to uncomplicate and try to at least get some of the most fundamental realities about Israel, that'll clear the picture for us so that we might expect things appropriately, pray for things appropriately, and be a source of compassion and comfort to those of a Jewish background, but also understand the plight of the Palestinian people as well. First of all, Israel has a complicated biblical history. Um, the heart of the Bible deals with God's plan to save mankind through His Son, Jesus. And that plan started all the way back in the book of Genesis, where there's an allusion in chapter 3 to someone coming in the future that will address Satan and what he was able to do in the garden. And we find that answer coming fairly quickly in Genesis chapter 12, where God promises to this man, Abraham, who he finds to be a faithful person, that he will make his name great, that he will provide a land to him and his descendants. And then in that same promise in Genesis 12, God tells Abraham, and all peoples or all nations will be blessed because of you. And the story of what we call the Old Testament is simply God working out that promise. That through one person, Abraham, there would be this nation that would come that would be eventually called Israel. And a Savior would come out of that nation, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came out of one of the 12 tribes of Israel, the tribe of Judah. So everything about Jesus' identity from a human standpoint is connected to promises made to God through Abraham. But the most complicated aspect of that promise is this promise of land, that there would be a land to the people of Israel. We find that Abraham's descendants went into uh, captivity in Egypt. Then they were released through Moses and God's intervention. They come into the land that was promised, but they don't stay in that land very long. They inherit it. God gives them what he promised, but yet because of their rebellion, uh, they end up having to go into captivity. The nation gets split in two to a northern kingdom of 12 tribes of Israel, a southern kingdom of uh, two, and they eventually both will go into captivity and lose their land entirely. But then after 70 years of captivity, a remnant returns back to this original homeland and is able to live there, and they are living there up until the time that Jesus appears, having been born humanly of Jewish parents that we know supernaturally conceived of the Holy Spirit. But even at the time that Jesus was born, Israel was occupied by what nation? The Roman Empire. So technically, Israel did not have that land at all. And that's just part of the biblical complication of just understanding what is kind of a complicated past of Israel, even in the Bible. The complication is not just outside the Bible. It's in the Bible itself. It's advanced Bible learning to try to get a grasp fully on Israel's history in the Bible. So that's complicated. Not impossible to understand. This complicated. You've got to do a little work. Um, 
As a teacher, I'm in these classes where I support students in their other classes. I can help them mightily with their history. I can help pretty well with their, their English. But when it comes to their math work, whether it be algebra or geometry, it's complicated. I just look at the paper. I go, I don't even know what's going on here. And I hand it to one of my fellow teachers and say, could you please help the student? The students know that I'm not a math expert. I don't even try to explain their math because I'm afraid I'll explain it wrong, even parts that kind of make a little bit of sense. Some things are just complicated, but it doesn't mean they're impossible to understand because one of my fellow teachers can just grab it, okay, you do this, you do this, and I'm, okay, because they, they understand it, they're familiar with it. So sometimes there will be those of us who are maybe more familiar with Israel's history in the Bible and those maybe that are less familiar. Complicated, but not impossible. But adding to the complication is the current history of Israel. As you saw in that first picture on the first slide, uh, the state of Israel was born in 1947. Very different than the identity of Israel in the Old Testament. Uh, near the end of World War I, there was a great desire for Jewish people to have their own homeland, which they did not have. They would not had it for uh, 2,000 years since the time of Christ. They had lost all their borders, all their land, and they were simply a spread out people. But there was a movement called Zionism, which sought to regain a homeland where Jewish people could go and live and feel like this is their home. But the problem was there's already people living there, and those people are the Palestinians. And during that time of the late 1940s, after World War II, where the Jewish Holocaust was fully exposed for what it was, there was great sympathy towards Israel having its own land and being a state where they could be protected. And the Zionist movement grew even stronger. But yet that would involve pushing out people that had been there for a long time. Those are the Palestinians. Israel, through a series of war, was, wars and approval by the United Nations, was able to secure land. But the people in that land went, one to the West Bank area, and the other group went down to this area called the Gaza Strip. A very small, confined area. The people who had been living in that land for a long time. Basically, Israel as a state regained what it believed was its rightful boundaries. But yet, someone had already been there. So the history, the current history of Israel is complicated. Who does the land really belong to? And a lot of what you see going on today deals with the fact that the Palestinians in no way except the idea that Israel has a right to be there, nor to many of Israel's neighbors. And the conflict is over them being confined to one area especially. That many Palestinians simply call it an open-air prison, that Gaza Strip area. But terrorism to rebel against that imprisonment has now been at its highest level. There are political challenges to Israel. Uh, what are the boundaries? Israel has expanded its boundaries beyond what even the United States had granted to them in the 1940s through three successive conflicts. And how, is their bound, or how are their boundaries to be understood? Their Arab neighbors who do not want them there, but yet have, for the most part, accepted that they're going to be there, whether it be Jordan, Egypt, and others. There's a tension there that at times has become stronger. That's a complication. There have been promises to the Palestinian people that one day they will have their own state and there will be two states, Israel and the state of Palestine. That has never happened and that's part of the problem. Promises that the Palestinian people would have their own land have never been met and they continue to be confined to these two areas and that's part of the problem. 
Also, Israel is a big ally of the United States. The United States sees Israel as a great source of keeping peace in the Middle East, and that's why one reason why they're supported greatly by the United States. They're a stabilizing force in an area that we do not, as a country, want to get out of control. But that's difficult, because there are different views about what rights that nation of Israel has versus what rights they don't. And you'll have even seen on the news this week a lot of people that are Jewish being opposed to things the state of Israel is doing. So what is the understanding? Jewish people, just like all people, are not unified on what is the role of Israel. And then finally, there's complicated personal challenges. You may have a friend that's Jewish, or many friends, or family. I have both. So my Closest co-workers are Jewish. My sister-in-law is Jewish. This issue is seen entirely different by them. Having nearly been exterminated during World War II by Adolf Hitler, they're very sensitive towards anything negative said about someone who is Jewish or about Israel because they hear it differently. Even though you might be talking politics, they hear... Is someone trying to exterminate us again? And we have to protect ourselves and very sensitive to anything that might be considered as negative or hostile. An uh, example of that, last year I had written on my board because we were talking about World War II, I'd writ just written on their Hitler unit. Just to let them know that we're going to be talking a lot about Adolf Hitler. Well, there's a Jewish student that wasn't really in my class. She came in and she just saw that Hitler unit. What, what's that? As if, I mean, her first thought was, is that like a pro-Hitler thing? And then I realized that just what I was writing to just tell my students, hey, get ready for this, she saw as something potentially threatening. So it's very sensitive on how we talk about Jewish people, how we talk about their history, the problems today. So um, speaking wisely and watching our words would be very important. So part of doing that is having a correct understanding about Israel that will help shape our words and, and how we see it. I tried to narrow it down this morning to simply five essential principles to understanding Israel today. Kind of like if you're going to take Algebra 2 or Trigonometry or Calculus, <laughs> Israel is like Biblical Calculus. It's really hard, but there's about maybe five things. If you got this, you'll be able to navigate it successfully, I think, as a Christian in your understanding. You don't try at all to get it, no telling what you'll think or say to someone else, and that's not a healthy thing. So I tried to narrow it down to, to five things that are helpful and look at some most helpful passages. Go ahead and turn over to the book of Romans if you have your Bible out or if you have it on your phone, you want to scroll to the New Testament book of Romans. This will be our place where we're going to spend all of our time. And just with three chapters, Romans chapter 9, we're going to look at Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. Even though Israel is all over the Bible, if you're looking for the clearest text, the clearest understandings, I think they're here in Romans chapter 9 through 11. There's many places you could go. But I think if you want to get the, the heart of the matter of Israel today and how we see it, these are the chapters to go to. But amazingly, these chapters are a little difficult. Uh, but yet there's some parts of it that are very clear to capture the rest of what Scripture says 
about Israel. So these are five essential principles to understanding Israel today that help us with expectations, help us with prayer, and help us with our Jewish friends, neighbors, or co-workers understand what is happening. First of all, we've got to accept this. that In the past, God worked through the nation of Israel. That's what the 39 books of the Old Testament are all about. God working out a promise to save mankind through one person, Jesus Christ, who was born of Jewish parents, though conceived by the Holy Spirit. It's part of this promise to Abraham. And I want to notice how the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 9, the first five verses, highlights that. He's basically highlighting that Israel has had this honored, privileged position with God throughout history. And he wants to show respect to that. Notice what Apostle Paul says, and he's writing to a church in Rome that's comprised of both Christians from a Jewish background and Christians from a non-Jewish background. They're most commonly called Gentiles in the Bible. They had challenges with each other. A lot of the Jewish Christians still struggled with people outside of the Jewish faith being accepted by God. A lot of the Gentiles said, I don't understand the problem at all. So they kind of had conflict. So a lot of New Testament teaching is on how to understand each other. So Paul is teaching on that through the Spirit of God. But notice what he says about the prominent place of Israel in the history of God's work through mankind. Paul says, verse 1, chapter 9, book of Romans. I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race. Verse 4, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption, theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. This is probably the most powerful presenting of how God has seen the nation of Israel and how he has used them. First of all, Paul says that, that he's Jewish. Again, if someone's from Israel or their lineage is traced back to Israel, uh, they're simply of that race that he simply says, for the sake of my people, those of my own race. Paul was Jewish in background. He was Jewish in background. He says, these are my people. This is my heritage. This is my ancestry. Verse 4, the people of Israel. But look at all the things he says or things that God did through this one nation. The adoption, that is counting them as his people. Divine glory, the covenants, verse 4. Receiving the law, the temple worship, the promises, verse 5. The patriarchs, that's Abraham, uh, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. That's where the name came from. Jacob was one of the patriarchs. And then most importantly, verse 5, the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all. This is an exaltation of Israel 
Because God used them. There's no way a Christian can be anti-Semitic or have some hatred towards Jewish people. That is not what is presented in Scripture at all. Jesus was Jewish. Paul was Jewish in background. And he highlights what God has done through the Jewish people in the past. And that's probably one of the most important foundational thoughts about understanding Jewish people. Is that they've been used by God in the greatest of ways, ultimately bringing about a Messiah. And the 39 books of the Old Testament are all about God's work through one nation that He chose because they are the descendants of Abraham, who God made promises through, and we are saved because of his ultimate descendant, Jesus Christ. No people has a greater past than the Jewish people. No people has a greater past than the Jewish people. Not Americans, not the French, not the British. Choose your country. No country has a greater past than the Jewish people. Again, Paul says, from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all. Jesus, the Son of God, is Jewish. And he comes again from this lineage. So I think as we talk with anyone about what's going on today, or we try to understand Jewish friends, neighbors, or family, understand the respect that should be given to them just because of their heritage. And that's what Paul is saying here. Even though he's going to go on and talk about how Jewish people need to accept Jesus as their Savior, he still honors where they're, they're at as far as history. Again, to be anti-Semitic or speak down of the Jews or anything like that has no part of Christian thought. No part. There's to be honored for God, how God used them. So that's the first core understanding. We're just going to look at the verses in red, by the way. The other verses are just supporting verses. You can look at it on your own. So this is the first essential principle. Here's the second. Israel today, though, is a political state. Israel today is a political state. Even though clearly the Apostle Paul, 2,000 year, years ago, is honoring the history of the nation of Israel, he didn't speak about any borders. He didn't speak about any land that still belonged to Israel, about anything they were still entitled to. He simply spoke about Israel as a people, that God has worked through them as a people throughout the years, and that needs to be respected and that there's no place for a denigration in any way of Jewish people, if exact, or if anything, it's the opposite. But he did not speak of any land that inherently still belonged to Israel, or that would be secured by them in the future. And what is probably one of the most difficult personal understandings is to understand that today, this nation of Israel that has specific borders it's a political state, and that is not a derogatory description. When you talk about a nation, I mean, we're a political state, the United States. That simply means a group of people has borders that are recognized by other countries. Those borders are very specific. Uh, the land is seen as belonging to them. However, they acquired it. You think about the history of the United States. 
The Revolutionary War. We basically got our freedom from the British and then took over North America and the people that were already living here got pushed out and this became our land. But yet, if you look at the history of the United States, there's some very difficult things regarding Native Americans and other ways uh, land was acquired. But still, the United States is a recognized political state. We have ambassadors, and ambassadors come to our country because we are a political state. That's not a negative thing. That doesn't mean politics like you see Democrats and Republicans. That's simply a term to describe a specific area of land with borders that is defended. And that's how we're to understand the conflict that is going on today. It is a political conflict over who has the right to this land in this area. From the time of Christ up till 1947, the Jewish people did not have that land. They lived spread out all over the world, but through the Zionist movement, there was a desire to reclaim land for Israel that went back to its historic borders in the Bible. But yet the Jewish people had lost that for 2,000 years. And that's what the Zionist movement was about. And after World War II, there's great sympathy for the Jewish people. And the United States granted, okay, these could be your borders. You can take it. Israel took it, but then they ended up taking more and expanding those borders and holding to those borders tightly. And that's what the conflict is about today. Because in order for Israel to come back in 1947 to this area, people had to be moved out just like for the United States to expand further west from the original 13 colonies, people were pushed out, and those people were the Native Americans. You can't really get around that historical reality. Very similar challenge today, except even more painful because of how it's maintained. I want to look at Romans 9, verse 6 and 7. This is not really proving a point as much as it's illustrating that we need to see Israel differently today. We need to make a separation between the state of Israel and Jewish people. Paul says, verse 6 of Romans 9, It is not as though God's word had failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Verse 7, Nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. I just want to isolate those two verses because he makes the point that just because in this time of the Messiah, just because someone is Jewish and descendant does not mean that they are automatically approved by God. That is, they're the true Israel of God. Paul in Galatians chapter 6, verse 16 talks about the true Israel of God. In the New Testament, after the coming of Christ and His dying for our sins, the true Israel of God was considered those who accepted Jesus as the Messiah and gave their life over to Him in conversion. And the initial converts to Christ were Jewish. Acts chapter 2 it was all Jewish people who responded to the message of salvation. And in the early chapters of Acts, those are the people that were converted and they ended up becoming called the true Israel of God. Because now their identity is changing, not from an identity based on land boundaries or simply being physically connected to Abraham, Jewish people now are considered truly the Israel of God based on their commitment to Jesus Christ. 
recognizing they won't be saved by Jewish traditions or customs or laws, even the laws of Moses, but instead by their obedience to Jesus. Many Jews, Jewish people accepted that. Many Jewish people did not. And that's what you see as far as persecution in the early books uh, or chapters of Acts, if you will. Many Jewish people were, were violently opposed to the teaching of Christ. Others in the synagogue said, we want to hear you more, as they heard teachings about this Messiah. But as we round out this thought, do not think today that what you're seeing on the news and these border conflicts and these atrocities are related to the Israel that you see in the Old Testament and that God's still working through this nation. God worked through the nation to bring about a Messiah. And that's Jesus Christ. But once that Messiah came, there was a change. And now the responsibility is for Jewish people to come to Christ just as there is a responsibility of non-Jewish people to do that. Everyone needs to come through Christ. As Jesus said Himself, John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. So just being Jewish alone, it gave you a big head start, but it was not sufficient to be accepted by God. Or being non-Jewish, whatever someone's national background was, was not sufficient. They had to come to God through Jesus Christ. So what you see today with Israel is simply a political state, a country, if you will, trying to defend its borders and protect area for its own people. But do not think that God is behind either side or that God is still working through Israel in some way. It's simply not supported. And I want to take that further in this third point. Some religious leaders that could be identified with Christianity wrongly hope for a full restoration of Israel. This is part of the complication. Some Christian groups that we would call evangelical, not all, but some, they have a view, and the view is called premillennialism. It's a very complicated, again, I'm using that word all the time, but it's kind of the best way to describe it, view about the end of the world. And they don't believe that Jesus will just come back as we believe the Bible teaches, and then people will be taken up to judgment and eventually to heaven and hell. They believe that Jesus is going to come back and set up a kingdom on the earth for a thousand years. You might say, what? I mean, that's what they believe. But they believe that will happen once the nation of Israel is restored as a country. So anytime there are a lot of these things in the news about Israel defending or securing its borders or doing anything like that, they believe this is a sign that Jesus will come back and set up a human kingdom on the earth for a thousand years. First, I don't believe that belief is supported in Scripture. Scripture supports the idea of Jesus returning. His work on earth is done. All people are resurrected either to a resurrection of life in heaven forever or a resurrection to eternal condemnation. The earth will be destroyed upon Christ's return. But this view, this restoration of Israel, believes that Israel is going to be restored as a nation. And that's why you'll see a lot of people that under a Christian umbrella supporting Israel and the 
put forth videos, and they'll be teaching on YouTube or in social media about this is God's plan for Israel. It's all unfolding. Anytime there's a major political upheaval in Israel, you'll see a lot of this coming out. And one of the biggest supporters of the political state of Israel is what's called evangelical Christians. They believe that this is God's plan working out. I don't believe that's supported by Scripture. There's not sufficient biblical evidence. Here's what Scripture goes back to all the time. Look at Romans 10, 1 through 4. Here's God's emphasis for Israel. It's not upon reacquiring land. God is done with that aspect. It's this, Romans 10, 1 through 4. Look what Paul says. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is what? That they may be saved. Just pause here. Not restored back to their land, not securing borders, but simply they might be saved, and that means saved through Jesus Christ. That was God's original intent through the promises of Abraham anyway. That a Messiah would be born and His people would respond to them and they would receive forgiveness of sins, new life, and then God's work through the nation would be ended. Brothers and sisters, verse 1, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Verse 2, for I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Verse 3, since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who what? Everyone who believes. Here Paul's basically saying that God's, first of all, his intent that all Israel be saved, not acquire land that they used to have, God has moved on from that. He desires that it be saved, number one, but then he points out that as a nation of people, for the most part, they have rejected their Messiah. They were zealous for God, but they missed it, and they ended up crucifying their own Messiah. Now, many people did not participate in that. Many Jewish people responded in Acts chapter 2 and were baptized into Christ. They saw that, hey, this is God's answer, but as a whole, the nation of Israel did not. And that's what Paul is pointing out here. He's not being anti-Semitic. He's not saying, I hate the Jewish people and so does God. There's nothing like that at all. They just missed it in a big way. But there's still time to come around and give obedience to Christ. That's why he says in verse 4, Christ is the culmination of the law. That is, everything in Jewish history points towards Christ. And those of Jewish background need to accept that, that he's the answer and not wait for another Messiah, or not wait for land to be restored, or anything like that. They need to come to Jesus Christ. Again, verse 4, Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be a righteousness for everyone who believes. That is, put their trust in Jesus. So, as we come back to this point, when you hear any religious leader, especially from some Christian background, saying, that God's going to restore land to Israel and this is God's plan working out and there's nations moving around here and this is what's said in Revelation or this is what's said in Ezekiel. I'm just going to say it this way, don't believe it. Or ask them to biblically work it out and if you get some kind of convoluted explanation or anything like that, just take it as it is. 
Meet with someone that wants to go over it with them, but it's simply not a true belief. But it's why you see a lot of Christian things about Israel thinking that this is God's plan unfolding. It's a, a wrong belief about the restoration of Israel. And then one, one proponent is this guy named John Hagee. And he talks about he thinks World War III is coming. So there's a lot of fear-mongering, a lot of desire for donations to come his direction. They're all connected to this false understanding about Israel. Number four, as we said already, so we won't spend much time with it, God's greatest hope for all Jewish people is to accept Jesus and be saved. God's greatest hope is for all Jewish people to accept Jesus and be saved. Let's read again Romans 10, 1 through 5. Before I read it, I just want to say this. If you don't understand anything about Israel, if you understand this, you got it. You got it. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer for God, or prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. That's where God's attention is. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to, to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. That is God's way of being saved. Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone. So what's going on in Israel? How does God see what's happening today? Well, the vicious loss of life and terrorist acts and unrestrained retaliation saddens him like he, it would sadden him anywhere in the world where he sees it. It saddens him what he sees in the Ukraine and other things like that. But as my southern grandparents would say regarding the political state of Israel, God does not have a dog in this hunt. God is not invested in the border security of the political state of Israel. God has invested His attention in the spiritual state of Jewish people and all people and finding a way to forgive them of their sins through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's where all of God's attention is. And that's why the early preaching of the New Testament was all to Jewish people. They got a head start. and They knew about God's plan, but they had to submit to it and accept that it wasn't through keeping the law of Moses, but instead being obedient to Jesus Christ, they would find the end of everything God had promised to Abraham. But the majority rejected that. Instead, as Paul says, they sought their own righteousness, or they... They hung on too long to the law of Moses and their identity as a people and did not see that, hey, our identity is now going to be defined by Jesus Christ and our acceptance of Him. That's what God was looking for all along. This is what God wants first and foremost. So as you see things, pray for Israel or pray for the Jewish people. Absolutely. Pray first and foremost that they might see their Messiah. So that even though their land might be in tumult and they might be undergoing persecution by people that are anti-Semitic, they might fundamentally know that they are secure with their God through Jesus Christ. Because that's where God has put all His attention. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer for Israel that they might be saved. That's God's attention. As we go to our fifth and final point, make sure that you're sensitive 
with this point with anyone that is Jewish background. You don't just walk up to Jewish people and say, hey, you need to be saved. Your people rejected God. I know you wouldn't say it like that or anyone here would. People in general have a hard time with that. <laughs> no one likes being told they're wrong. But with the Jewish people, there's a heightened sensitivity because of their persecuted background. The attempted extermination by Adolf Hitler, uh, the fact that no country wanted Jewish people at the end of World War II and during World War II, and ships would go around the world with Jewish people, and countries wouldn't even let them in because of their hatred towards Jewish people. Jewish people are very sensitive towards being told that they're wrong or that they're rejected because they hear that far more deeply than probably any of us would mean. So whenever you're engaging in a discussion with a Jewish person about the gospel, make sure you speak the truth in love. Don't go all into the history of Israel to say God loves you. He wants you to be saved just so he wants me to be saved. And everyone is equal in that light as far as their need to be saved and as far as the answer. Jesus Christ is the answer for everyone. But one of the blessings to the Jewish people is that Jesus was Jewish. During his earthly life, he was of Jewish ancestry. That's a highlight. No other group of people can say that. So highlight those things whenever you're in a discussion with Jewish people about the gospel. But understand this, that God's greatest hope for all Jewish people is to accept Jesus and be saved. Fifth and final point. Well, what do I pray for, you might wonder. What do I pray for? Well, first of all, we just saw point four, what God's desire is. So you pray for conversion first. Pray that they'll not be converted to a Christian church. That's not the idea, but the idea of being converted to Christ. They need to come to Jesus, but that's like everyone. We all need that. They are not excluded from that. I want to read our last text and then talk about some of the things we can pray for as well. Romans chapter 11. Again, Romans 9, 10, and 11 are the most helpful as far as capturing a thought. Here Paul addresses, have, has God just rejected Jewish people altogether? Like he doesn't care about them at all? Not at all. Chapter 11, verse 1. Paul says, I ask then, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself. A descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. Verse 2, God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he appealed to God for, about Israel or against Israel? Lord, they've killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I'm the only one left and they're trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I reserved for myself 7,000 who've not bowed the knee to Baal. Verse 5, so too at the present time there's a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. We'll just pause here. You might be asking, what did he say? This is part of the complication. Sometimes even the answers about Israel are complicated in Scripture. But fundamentally, he's saying, first of all, God has not rejected Jewish people in the sense of, hey, I don't even want to talk to them anymore. They're just as much part of God's plan as anyone. They're just kind of got a head start. So God's not rejecting. He says, I'm an Israelite, descendant of Abraham, tribe of Benjamin. And he talks about in verse 5, there's this remnant or small group that's chosen by what? Not by ethnicity, but they're chosen by grace. 
So Jewish people, as much as anyone, if not more, are in the front of the line, if you will, to receive God's grace through Jesus Christ. They have a richer history. They know more. God's work through them. They are in the front of the line, if you will. But they're still in the line. They need to accept Jesus. So pray for conversion. But understand, too, Jewish, Jewish people are people, like the rest of us, that want the same thing in their country, if they choose to live in Israel, as we want in ours, security. What did we want after 9-11? We wanted to be secure because we got scared to death on September 11th, 2001. And what's happened in Gaza has scared them to death. And just as a people, their humanity wants security. Regardless of the history of the borders and whose land belongs to whose, they want to feel safe. And that's been greatly challenged by what has happened through these terrorist acts. So it is proper to pray for their protection and safety. But just the idea of praying for a resurrected Israel with land borders going back to the Old Testament, that's not part of the plan, but they can be safe just like you and I want to be safe. And pray for peace. Paul taught in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, to pray for leaders of this world, for all rulers, all those in authority, that we might live a quiet and peaceful life. It is certainly proper to pray for peace in the Middle East in general and in Israel specifically. It's just not clear how that's going to happen in this political state in light of what's going on. We will probably see very intense headlines for quite some time. Pray that good might prevail over evil. Pray that hearts might be softened. That compassion for human beings might prevail despite the complication of the land and who claims the land and who has been hurt by being moved out. Have compassion on everyone there. And that's how Jesus would want you to respond to all that's going on in Israel. May God bless us as we are challenged by this event to understand the truth of God's word behind it all, but also care about the people that God deeply cares for too, which is everyone over there. Everyone over in the Middle East, God loves as much as he loves you and I. So don't see it as any other thing other than people that God loves being hurt by each other. Just a moment, we're going to sing a song to encourage us to be faithful in our own walk. The opportunity is open to anyone that's willing to submit their life to God by repentance, changing their life, of doing their own things their own way, confessing Jesus as Lord, the Son of God and Lord of their life, believing with all their heart that Jesus is the Son of God, they can be baptized, as most of us have been. Baptized into Jesus Christ for what? The forgiveness of our sins. That is God's intent for everyone. And may that be our goal in our discussion with people that we know, to bring them to Christ by our example, by speaking the truth in love, but also may we model by our own decisions what God wants us to live out in our own life so that people are attracted to the gospel. So as we sing this last song to encourage us, may it challenge you to be a light where 
someone sees in your life, that's what I want. I want Jesus in my life because I see their life and how it's lived because of Jesus. So that not only Jewish people will see that, but non-Jewish people as well. You are the light of the world. Don't hide that light through things that are messing up your life.